Thank you, Tim. Thank you, praise team. What a wonderful worship service we have had this morning. What a wonderful way to kick off the new year. And uh, certainly excited and, uh, man, that's good stuff. I want to invite you, if you would, grab your copy of God's Word and uh, turn with me to the book of 1 John. And uh, we are going to start in the first verse of the first chapter of 1 John. And for the next little while, we're going to be in the book of 1 John. And we're going to be talking about knowing Jesus. And all the ways in which this matters, all the ways in which this uh, impacts our own life, uh, all the ways in which this really sort of shapes the way our life and eternity is lived. And here we are right on the cusp of a brand new year here in 2023, which saying that aloud even sounds kind of weird. I know anytime I'm going to be writing anything out, it's probably going to be March before I actually get that correct, right? It takes a little while. But as we think about New Year's and we think about all the things that we do, we've already made reference to resolutions and those sorts of things. And I imagine you've already got some of those in your mind and some of those things that you would like to do and like to accomplish as you think about all of what this next year may or may not entail. But we do those things because we think they're important. We make those decisions and those emphases because we see those things as significant. And I wonder as we gather here and we focus in not only on what we just sang, but also as we turn our attention to God's Word here this morning and think about knowing Jesus. What a wonderful resolution to have for this year. To cast our lives into the wonderful reality of knowing Jesus. And maybe you're here this morning and you've never known Jesus as Savior and Lord, and today is an open invitation for you to do so. Maybe it's something that you've sort of put aside along the way. Maybe you you know Him, but it's just been something that you've struggled with along the way to take any measure of interest in and that sort of thing. May God at work by His Spirit, at work through His Word, stir your heart yet again to the wonder of knowing Jesus, who is the life. Grab your copy of God's Word and read with me, if you will, and The letter of 1 John, starting in chapter 1, starting in verse 1, and we will read down through verse 4. This is what we read. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 says this, "...that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life." The life was made manifest. We have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, in this moment now, Lord, as we have so many things running through our hearts and minds, fix our eyes on Jesus. That as that song we sang just a moment ago so helpfully clarifies, in Christ alone my hope is found. Father, may that be the cry and testimony of every life that is represented here today. Maybe for the first time, maybe as a reminder, Father, may we come away amazed at what it means to know Jesus. Stir our hearts this morning for your great glory. Lord, we ask it all in Jesus' mighty name. 
Amen. So as we come to the letter of 1 John, it always helps to sort of unpack context and where we are within the study. And so you think of the letter of 1 John, and of course it was written by the Apostle John. It would have been written later in the first century than a lot of the other letters. You're thinking more around 75 to 85 AD. It was written from Ephesus, so the Apostle John was serving and ministering there in the city of Ephesus, and he was writing to churches around in Asia Minor. And it's helpful to think about that because that also reminds us that as you read of the letters to the churches in Asia Minor in the book of Revelation, that actually provides good context for what the church situation was like that he was writing to in the letter of 1 John. And you think of that, and you could just go to Revelation if you wanted to, and you can think of Revelation chapters 2 and 3, and you think of all those letters there, and you think of all the persecution that is taking place. You think of all the situations where uh, the church is being called out for losing its first love. The church is being called out for tolerating things that the church should not tolerate. And yet at the same time enduring in a way that pleases the Lord. You, you, this call to wake up and wake up your affections and wake up your adoring of Jesus. And this calling out of those who are lukewarm. The fact of the matter is, is that the letter of 1 John strikes us right where we are. Because it was written in the midst of a culture that was loaded up with falsehood and all sorts of false ideas about this, that, and the other, and most particularly about Jesus. And so 1 John strikes us in the exact same way. We must come to know Jesus and know Jesus as Savior and Lord, and that in thinking about the broad sweep of where God leads us through as we study 1 John, not only that we would know Him, but as it is actually stated in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. We're being called here to know Jesus. And this is an interesting way to begin a letter, isn't it? Because it starts off with that which was from the beginning. And of course, if you're reading this and you're an English teacher, you're like, man, this is terrible, right? Because this is a really long run-on sentence. And what you find is when, he's, when he says that which, he's actually referencing the word of life, which he mentions later on at the end of verse 1. That which, the word of life, who is Jesus Christ? And we'll unpack that in just a second. That which was from the beginning... And he's making reference here and using a phrase that was all throughout the Old Testament and making reference to the very beginning, the beginning of all things. We're talking about the pre-incarnate glory of Jesus Christ. And what's interesting is that's actually referenced in one of those Christmas promises that we talked about a bunch of times through the Christmas season. You think of Micah chapter 5, verse 2, where he's, it makes reference to Bethlehem and the place where the Messiah is going to be born. But it says later on in verse 2, it says, for From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. It is a reminder here that Jesus is, always has been, and will always be. And when you think about getting to know someone, one of the first questions that you ask is what? Where are you from? Right? You meet somebody and you say, okay, well, they're kind of interesting. Maybe they're a little quirky. And you say, well, where are you from? And then they say, they're like, that makes sense now. <laughs> I get it. Where are you from? From the beginning. 
He's always been, not out of the beginning. He's always, he was present in the beginning, which is how this is being stated. And if you were present in the beginning, that would mean you precede the beginning. He, his glory is eternal. You can feel the weight of this, like parents looking at their children to a certain degree and being like, I, w- I was there when you were born, right? I was here before you were around. As a way of stating, I have more understanding than you do. What a reminder for us as we come to know Jesus and we walk in knowing Jesus and learn to enjoy knowing Jesus. Of getting a bigger view of what it means to know him and who he actually is. Jesus has already stood the test of time. He's already done that. It's not like we're still waiting to see if he's going to. He already has. What a worthwhile pursuit for all of us to cast our lives into the joy and the wonder of knowing Jesus who is the life. Because John starts to unpack this in the rest of verse 1 as he thinks about his own experience and really not only his but others as well when he says, which we have heard. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Now, it is interesting that he's using the phrase, or the word, we, here. So not only is he making reference to the fact that he has experienced all these things, but he's not the only one who's experienced all these things, not only in terms of the apostles, but also the believers as well. He's following this biblical pattern of two or more witnesses testifying together. He's saying, look, it's not just me saying these things to you. There's all of these other ones. We all together, we've all heard these things. And as John is testifying here, he's not talking about things that he heard third or fourth hand. We all remember the dangers of playing the telephone game when you were a kid. You sit in the big circle and you play the, you know, you've got the little phrase. And if you were anything like me, you got a big thrill out of messing the whole thing up. You change every single one of those words, and then it gets to the end, and they're like, who did this? It's like, I don't know. It's not like that. He heard it directly from the word of life himself. He says, we have heard him. And you think of what he heard, and you think of the, the, even the, the gospel of John. And hearing the conversation with Nicodemus that you must be born again. Of being present for all of the preaching of the Sermon on the Mount. Of being present there in the midst of the transfiguration when he hears the Father declare, this is my beloved Son. Of being that John was there standing at the foot of the cross listening to the words of Jesus from the cross. He heard him say, it is finished. We have heard. But it's not just things that we've heard. It's just that which we have seen. With our eyes. Seeing the most downcast and afflicted people in society come to Jesus hopeless, bedraggled, forlorn, and cast aside and find hope and life and forgiveness in Him. Seeing lepers cleansed. Seeing a a woman who carried around an affliction for what felt like her entire life all of a sudden healed. People overwhelmed with demons who all of a sudden are set free by the power of Christ. 
seen with his eyes on a boat as it's being cast around. And Jesus standing up and declaring, peace be still. And the water goes calm in an instant. He saw that. And he was in the upper room after the resurrection when Jesus appears. And Jesus appears in glorified flesh. You think, well, why does this matter to have this kind of testimony? Because we're realizing that in knowing Jesus, we're being provided real hope for real lives. Because that's what we really need. When we're talking about knowing Jesus, we're not talking about, you know, pleasant fiction. Where we're just sort of learning nice things from another day and a day gone by. No, we're knowing He who has the power to give you hope and life and the forgiveness of your sins. The real Lord, the real Savior, who has real grace and real love for you. He says, we've heard, we've seen with our eyes. He says, we've looked upon, which is another way of saying we've contemplated or concentrated or, or beheld. You think in the moment of the feeding of the 5,000, and you know, it's sort of like, okay, well, we got a couple of loaves, we got a few fish. It's like, let's see if this, and so John and the other apostles would have beheld the fact that it's like the more we pass it around, the more there's in there. And the amazement of that. How could this be? Who is this? Seeing and beholding his, the hands in his side where he says, touch me and feel me. I'm really here. Or looking upon and, and focusing and thinking about the fact when he raises the little girl to life. He says, little girl, I say to you, arise. Or being there and beholding and contemplating the fact that Jesus walks up to the tomb of Lazarus. And as everybody is saying, don't do that because there's no way. He's already told them, I'm the resurrection of life. And he stands in front of them and says, Lazarus, come forth. And here he comes marching out of there. Have we forgotten who it is that we're knowing here? Have we forgotten how amazing he is? What a wonderful reminder that we have here in 1 John. That we've heard, seen, looked upon, and he says, touched with our hands, bumped into. You think of even this coming from the Apostle John who would have been laying across Jesus there at the institution of the Lord's Supper. We all recognize there's a huge difference between For our perspective, seeing someone in person and seeing someone on television, right? It's like he's saying, look, this is the real thing. I've really been with him. This is real. The word of life really does do this. He is the word made flesh. He is the declaration of life. He is the giver of life. He gives life because he is life and he is the author of life. He's our mediator and our substitute and our savior. And I wonder as you read this today, maybe you're looking at your own life and be like, well, I need life. Yes, come to Jesus. He is life in himself. Because so much of our resolutions are based around the whole notion and these sort of cliches that we carry around. Well, this is the life, right? Maybe I want to save money because I want to get to the point where I can say, well, this is the life. No, He is the life. Knowing Him is life. 
Don't forget what you read in the Gospel of John. In in John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. See, notice the, the Word is not merely learned. The Word is known. There's a difference. It's personal. And I wonder as you read this and you think of knowing Jesus, and you think of the the impact in your own life and all the real ways in which you live a real life, those things that you've heard, those things that you've seen, those things that you've focused upon, and those things that you've touched with your hands, have they seen the redeeming wonder of the life of Christ? Are you hoping in Him to do something about that? Are you trusting in Him to do something about that? Do we not see that Christ is calling us to walk with Him and to know Him and to see how He's going to bear out another testimony of His faithfulness in our lives as we trust Him and know Him who is the life? He describes it this way in verse 2. He says, The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life. That the life is knowable, not just experienced. And then he's made manifest. And he says, we've seen it. He's made himself known. How is the word of life made manifest? Well, a whole bunch of different ways. The word of life being made manifest in perfect righteousness. That he lived in perfect righteousness, was tempted in every way as we are, and yet was without sin. John would have seen him. Walk through temptation in absolute perfect communion with the Father in, in faithfulness through every trial and temptation along the way. And it's like indescribable perfection. Look at he who's the word of life. But it's not just that, is it? Because that word of life is also manifest in the love. Where he went to the cross and died for us in our place. So that by dying for us in our place as our substitute, he would impute his righteousness to us and he would endure the full outpouring of the wrath of God against our sins so that he could give us life. But it's not just that either, is it? Because the word of life is also manifest in power and the resurrection that he is mighty over our sin, over death, over hell itself. There is no match for his indestructible life as Hebrews puts it. He gives life. And you think of the Apostle John, even under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, putting pen to paper here and thinking back in his own life and thinking about lives transformed. Thinking about Nicodemus, who snuck around under cover of darkness to first try to have an interaction with Jesus. Who ultimately puts his whole reputation and life at risk by getting involved in the burial of Jesus. Or of the the testimony of the man born blind. Where everybody's trying to figure out, it's like, well, you were blind and now you're not. What happened? He says, all I know is I once was blind, but now I see. You think of all these testimonies along the way and the woman at the well and her whole life is transformed and what does she do? She goes out to the villages that are around her and starts telling the story of Jesus or the demoniac and he's cleansed and he's set free and he's like, I want to go with you, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, you're going to go back to your hometown and you're going to tell them that hope lives. And he did. 
You think of the thief on the cross, or even you think of Thomas in the upper room, or you think of Peter and the restoration and the end of the Gospel of John, or you think of the Apostle Paul, and then all of a sudden you're reminded, look around in this room. Look at all the testimonies in here. Look at all the stories of His redeeming love and His grace, and how life has been made manifest in our midst You think back over last year, all the ways in which His faithfulness has been on display, all the ways in which He's been at work, all these reminders along the way that He has not given up. And then we look around and we look forward to the rest of the year and we think, oh, look look at what God is going to do. He says, we've seen it, we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life. He says, we stake our reputation on it. We proclaim it to you because what is known is meant to be shared, this eternal life. Now, a lot of times when we think about eternal life, we think about eternal life just in terms of duration. Yes, eternal life does have duration that is eternal, right? That's a helpful definition there. But at the same time, it's not just duration, it's eternal in substance, in the sense that it's always going to matter. That knowing Jesus at the beginning of 2023 matters, just like knowing Jesus at the end of 2023, Lord willing, matters, right? It will always matter. And then we're reminded of all these sort of fleeting pursuits that we chase after. And I'm not here to, you know, throw away the whole notion of New Year's resolutions. If you, if you feel like you need to exercise more, by all means, go exercise more. Need to read more? Read more. But if you're having to sort of delineate between, well, what's most important? Because you can't do everything. What's going to make it to the top of the list? What has to be on the top of the list? What is most important? What is most impactful to the entirety of your life and eternity is knowing Jesus. That He must take priority. And in fact, as this is even described in, in the ways in which the Gospel John is revealed as well, he says, proclaim to you the eternal life. This reminds us of what Jesus himself said in the high priestly prayer, as it's often referred to in John chapter 17, verse 3, where he says this, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life, knowing him. Those two things are together. You want eternal life right now? Know Jesus. Walk in Him. Enjoy it now. It's not just something to look forward to in the future. It's something to enjoy now and to grow in now. He is the life. He gives the life. He sows the seeds into our life of love and peace and joy and conviction and discipline and help and all these things. See, we we have to be reminded there's a huge distinction and difference between knowing facts and knowing someone. When I was a kid, right, we, we collected cards for all manner of different sports. I was a big basketball fan, so, you know, I could, at a, for a, a span of about five or six years, I had all these basketball cards. You could ask me stats about any which person. I could tell you what their free throw percentage was and everything else. 
But if you said, hey, can you call one of those people on the phone? I'd be like, what are you talking about? No. You could quote every stat from their entire you know, professional sports career. But I didn't know them. But see, that's how some of us in, in here may be. You might be able to quote me chapter and verse, all these things that you learned along the way, but you may not actually really know Jesus as your Savior and Lord. That's a dangerous place to be in. This is not about knowing the stats. This is about knowing the Savior. It's personal. When you know Him as your good shepherd, when you know Him as the light of the world who lights up the darkness, when you know Him as the bread of life who is constantly nourishing you in Himself, when you know Him as the door and the one way of access, when you know Him as the resurrection and the life who has poured life into your life, who is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through Him. He who is the vine and our only hope of abiding fruitfulness whatsoever is found in abiding in Him and His life. It's personal. Do you know Him who is the eternal life? The eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. The eternal begotten Son of the Father who has always been and has no beginning. Who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He sounds pretty reliable to me, doesn't he? Sounds like someone worth trusting. See, as we make our way out of the Christmas season and into sort of the rest of the year... We have, to, we have to realize the incarnation did not create the glory of Jesus. It declared it. He came to us. Glory came to us. So when the angels are saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom He is pleased, He came, but His glory has always been. Which is why He ascended in glory. He returned in glory as victorious King and conqueror over our sin and death and hell. He did that for us. And one day He will return again in glory. All this has been manifest to us, revealed, so that you may know Him. So that our attention and our affection would be captured in Him. So that as we find ourselves just like the churches to whom this was originally written... Amid all manner of hardship and difficulty, amid all manner of questions about what the the next year may bring or maybe what the next day may bring, amid all the realities of grief and sorrow and hardship and fear, amid all those things, Jesus gives life because He is life. And it's been made manifest. Do you know Him? Do you trust Him? Are you seeing the living effects of knowing Him? Like what, you may say? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because knowing Jesus leads to lively fellowship, you may say. In verse 3, it says that, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. That knowing is not an end to itself. That the things that we learn and the things that we come to know are things that we are meant to make known. We think of the Apostle John here. You think of the apostolic authority of the Apostle John and the work of 
the apostles within the first century. And you think, well, okay, well, what's the existing apostolic authority now? What's the Bible? And here it is, we, these things that we've learned and know from Him, from these eyewitnesses, those who walked with Him and learned with Him and gleaned from Him, and full of the Spirit in pinning these things down that we would know. Well, here it is. Good news is meant to be shared. We're pretty good about this on Facebook, aren't we? Or on social media? We'll see something, it might be completely ridiculous. I don't know, and you look at some weird cartoon, you're like, that's pretty good. And you know, you get on there, like, I'm going to share it. We're pretty good about that, aren't we? I mean, none of us really had any problem talking about football from yesterday. It's good news. It's meant to be shared. I feel bad for that kicker, but hey, Whatever. Are we like this with Jesus, though? Are we this confident in the reality that He is this good of news, that we share it and that we enjoy the sharing of it so that we aim towards the result, not simply to make it known, but notice He says, so that you too may have fellowship with us. Fellowship in the sense of a shared partnership and sort of a communing together of the shared benefits. Now, when we think of fellowship, and of course we're Baptists, and so we think of fellowship, and you think, well, fellowship always involves fried chicken in a casserole dish. That's not a bad start, right? I'm not going to turn either one of those things down. But we have to be clear that there is a difference between talking about a meal and sharing a meal together. And what we're being invited to is to share together in the wonders of knowing Jesus. Like we're sharing fried chicken in a casserole dish. Because it would be a horrible cruelty for me to just hold it to myself and be like, you know what, this is good. And never share it with you. Are we doing that with people though? In a genuine spiritual sense? In the sense that we look around to the people who are around us, maybe the people that we work with, maybe the people that you share a house with, and you're like, this is really good. This is good stuff. I'm just going to keep it for me, though. Or are we making it known so that you too may have fellowship with us, that we're meant to be connected in Him, a partnership in what matters most? Because we have all these affiliations and all these things, and we have all this fun in doing it, and rightly so. We love certain types of food. We love our sports teams. We love all these different hobbies. We have all sorts of, you know, clothing that represents all these sorts of things and everything else. But can we say the same thing about the way in which we live our life in Christ? This aim of fellowship and fellowshipping together and enjoying the fact that we're not meant to do this alone. There's unity and shared benefit in Him. You know, I've seen this on display in this church. Even in the short time that I've been here, in moments of grief and sorrow and loss, I have seen Sunday school, entire Sunday school classes rally around people in such a way where it's not like, I'm going to tell you everything that you don't need to know right now. It's just, I'm going to be here and I'm going to love you. And we're going to enjoy the fact that the God of all comfort who's comforted me in my affliction is going to comfort you as well. We're sharing in the wonder of who we are in Christ together. 
because we're not meant to try to do this alone. Not to mention the fact that it's not just us. He says, indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We share fellowship with the same Heavenly Father. That if you are a believer, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, it doesn't matter what, you, what your backstory is. It doesn't matter what your experience of your earthly father may be. Maybe you never knew him. Maybe you knew him and he was absolutely terrible. Maybe you had him and you loved him and you lost him. But if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you have a heavenly Father whom you will never lose, who is wonderful and good and perfect and kind, and he will never leave nor forsake you. And we share that together. We have a bond that's deeper than we can ever possibly even describe. That just as you can cry, my Father, I need you. I can cry, my Father, I need you. And he answers us both. And we share Jesus Christ. Our fellowship is with him. Through his redeeming love and his redeeming work and his forgiveness. That he is our shepherd and he is our light. He is our way. He's our priest. He's our mediator. He's our advocate before the Father. We realize that fellowship is not just an event that we have on the calendar. This is an ongoing thing that we're being called to in knowing Jesus. Constantly together. You say, well, how do we, how do we maintain this? Well, it's actually not as hard as it may sound. You listen. You talk. And you gather. You read His Word and you listen. You go before Him in prayer and you talk. You get together with your brothers and sisters in Christ and you encourage one another to do what? To listen and talk all the more. It's no accident that the church is structured the way that it's structured. It's meant to lead us and funnel us together. That as we grow closer and closer to Christ, we are actually growing closer and closer to one another. And then we're to enjoy that lively fellowship with Him to the degree that He makes this declaration that is both a declaration and an invitation. And in verse 4, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Our joy in the sense of our contentment and gladness in Jesus, no matter the circumstance. That our joy may be complete. This is an invitation. This is not, this is like looking around and it's like for the Apostle, Apostle John thinking of the church and thinking, we can't think that I'm just out to get mine and then run our merry way. That our joy is not complete until we're sharing together. We're enjoying this together. We're walking in this together. That we're walking with one another, with the Father and the Son And then in so doing, when we have that, then our joy will be complete. 
This is a reminder for us in terms of thinking about marriage. What's the best thing for your marriage? A thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. What's the best thing for you as a parent? A thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. What's the best thing for you as a single person? A thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. What's the best thing for you as a citizen, as a co-worker, as a neighbor, as a friend? A thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. He says, we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. That it's meant to impact one another. And it's not looking backwards and saying, we're just trying to make it how it used to was. No. We're looking forward to a, a joy that is complete in Christ. Complete as in the sense of full to capacity. Saturated. Then our joy may just be complete and saturated in Him. You think about cooking, right? You think about grilling and all these things. You marinate things. And the longer you leave it in the marinade, the longer it soaks that flavor up, right? And you just enjoy that stuff. I'm getting hungry too. Sorry. You think of the wonder of what that is, and this is the same picture here, that we're right, that our joy may just be overflowing and that we marinate in the wonder of the flavor of His grace together. And that we enjoy knowing Him and making Him known. We look for that in every aspect of life. Because when a life is saturated with knowing Jesus, then the joy of knowing Him is going to drip out everywhere. You ever seen a sponge? You take that sponge and you crush it down and you sink it down into that pool of water and then you let it soak up and then you pull the thing up. And what happens? Every time you just sort of jostle it around, joy just comes dripping out. Water comes dripping out. That's the picture of to be our lives. So that when we find ourselves in circumstances that maybe you don't like, Every bump along the road, right? Everything that is right around the corner for us in 2023 that we don't know is coming. Every little jostle, it drips out. There's the joy in Christ. He's with me. He still loves me. He's going to carry me. He's always faithful. He'll never leave me or forsake me. Then instead of looking at our circumstances and saying, why this? We start looking at it and say, Lord, use this to advance the kingdom. That we would be like the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 1. That he's writing to them and he's saying, in Philippians 1.12, I write these things to you to let you know that what has happened to me has turned out to advance the gospel. That we would look at our own hardships as opportunities to learn and grow and advance the gospel of Christ. As we think about this year and New Year's resolutions and what we're aiming towards, may we Run with joy into the wonder of knowing Jesus and enjoying lively fellowship with Him. Do you hear the invitation? Because maybe you're here this morning and you know by the conviction of the Holy Spirit from where you sit right now, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. That if you were just to walk through the righteous requirement of the law, you've already worshipped other idols, you've said things that aren't true, you've dishonored parents, taken things that don't belong to you. This gets worse the further you go. You think that, well, there's no hope for me. You're wrong. 
the word of life came to us because he knew we stood condemned in our own ways. All the ways we, which we try to carve our own path and do our own thing and make our own road and sort of overcome the bad with a little bit of good, not realizing that we can't undo the bad that's already done and the bad that's already entrenched in our own hearts. We need hope that's bigger than what we can provide ourselves and it's only found in Jesus Christ. Won't you hear that the giver, the author of life, who is the giver of life, is offering to give you life here today. Not so that you can know the stats and you can say, oh, well, Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead. No, you can know that Jesus died on the cross for you and rose from the dead for you. That you would be justified and made righteous in his sight and covered in his righteousness and then you would have him in your life forever. Won't you come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord for the first time today if you never have before? And for all of us in here who are believers, may this introduction to this wonderful letter here of 1 John be a reminder for us to pursue what is most significant in this year, 2023. To live our lives aimed at knowing Jesus and making Him known. And when we do that, we'll get to the end of this year and we'll look back and we're going to see all manner of different reasons to celebrate the saturation of His joy at work in our midst. Won't you respond to Jesus here today as He calls you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You are amazing. More than anything else right now, Father, we pray that in this moment there would be clarity for everyone in here. Father, we pray for the person who has never known you, whether they've never known you by their own confession or maybe they've never known you because they've realized all they knew was the stats. Father, in this moment now, may they come running to you, crying out for forgiveness and everlasting life through faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for their sin and rose from the dead. Father, we pray that today would be a day of life being poured out. And that you would stir our joy even now. Father, for all of us in here who are believers, rescue us from the triviality of pursuing meaningless things. That we may walk in the wonder and the joy and the gladness of what is most significant, what lasts forever in knowing Jesus. Stir our affections. Stir our attention. Stir us to respond to you in a way that brings you glory and honor. May Jesus be pleased as we respond to you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.